God to come together and to worship you, Lord. May we not take that for granted, God. And Father, I just pray that we would be able to focus and fix our minds upon you and put everything else aside, God. Father, I just thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus, and that you made us worthy and that you set our feet upon a sure foundation. And Father, as we come together, we we lift up those, Father, that don't have this freedom, God, and that you would uh, just be with them today, Father, and encourage them, Lord, in Jesus' name. You can physically stand. Let's get up on our feet together and praise the Lord.
We thank you, Lord, that your hand is upon us, Father. I pray, God, that you would, Lord, just open up our eyes to see and our ears to hear. God, that your word would be applicable to our lives, Father, as we stay in step with the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the promise, Lord, that if we habitually walk with you, we would not gratify the desires of the flesh. Oh, God, that you would strengthen us, Lord. God, that we would be revived. Father, that we would go forth, Father, and be about our Father's business, Lord. Not looking to the right or to the left or even behind, but setting our gaze upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Bless the reading of your word this day, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. For the kingdom of God is just not a lot of talk, but it's living by God's power. We can't just be a religious people, you all. If you're believing that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Son of God, He has defeated sin and death, and the very nature in which we were born into no longer is to master us. When we come to Christ, we are born again. When we accepted Christ, we saw our need for a Savior. We saw that in and of ourselves, there's nothing that in and of ourselves we could accomplish to make us right with God. Each of us was born with, if you would, a hole in our heart, a hole in our very being that needed to be filled by the Creator. The created can never fill us. The created can never complete us. Rather, it's a person, rather it's material things, or anything on this earth. The created can never fulfill or heal the created. It only takes a creator. And God is the creator. He is the giver of life. And remember, his desire is for you to have life and life in abundance. It is the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And if you're sitting here as a Christian today, as I've been encouraging us over the past couple of months, you're waking up behind enemy lines each and every single day. Everything out there in this world and your very flesh nature will love nothing more than to draw you and lure you away from God, from your Creator. But God has given us victory through Christ and He's given us His Holy Spirit and the promise that we can walk upright in a crooked world, that we can go forth and announce the, the victorious risen Savior, the good news of Jesus Christ, so other captives would be set free. And that's why this verse is so important, that you're meditating upon it, that you're seeking God, you're asking the Holy Spirit for help how to apply it to your life. In and of yourself, you can't apply God's word. You must seek the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself says, I have to go away so that he would come. We have the Holy Spirit so that we can live out the living word. And oh, we're back to walking through the word today. Before we get there, I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 29. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 through 14. And so as we're walking through the Word, seeking God with our whole heart, 
while he may be found. That is the reason why a few months ago I opened up the Word and started walking through it with you. From the Old Testament, in the New Testament, through Psalms, through the book of Proverbs. We're walking through the Word and our purpose of doing it is to seek God with our whole heart. And I want to encourage you in that. When we're opening up the Word, that is what you're doing. That's what we're doing collectively. We're seeking God. None of us know the fullness of God. So we're seeking Him. We're seeking to to know Him. And as we know Him, He will strengthen us for us to follow Him. And so I want you to see in Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 through 14, as we're seeking Him with our whole heart, while He may be found. It says here, For I know the plans I have for you. This is God speaking, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Did you hear that? God says, For I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. And look at this. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. Now we understand in the Old Testament he's speaking to the Israelites. Remember when we first opened up the Word of God, I encourage you to understand that God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, and from there God brought forth a people, a group of people, the Israelites, that he set apart for himself to be unlike all the other nations in the world that he created. He set this nation apart for himself. They were to be his people and they were to be... I'm sorry, he was, they were to be his people and he was to be their God. And the other nations were to look in and see something different about these group of people. But as we are reading, and if you've never read through the Old Testament, as we continue through the Old Testament, you're going to see that they were God's people for a season, but then they were lured away by the other nations. They were lured away by the things and the cravings and their appetites within that drew them to the things of this world. Instead of being separated, instead of trusting in God, they kept going back. And so as we're opening the New Testament, we're going to see this this incredible God's plan and purpose come to life. And God never gave up on his people. Oh, he had to discipline them. He had to deal with them harshly and severely. They faced his judgment. But they also faced his mercy. Because again, God is a God of love, but he's also a God of wrath. You you can't have his love without his wrath, and you can't have his wrath without his love. He is just in what God does. That's why I've always told you, so many people blame God. They, They hold up their fist to God and blame God as if God is not just. No, God is just in all that he does. And whenever God disciplines, whenever God says, I'm going to send my wrath on you, I'm going to deal with you harshly, 
he always comes right back around and says, but, so forget just what I said, but if you turn to me, if you turn to me, if you follow me, if you abide in me, if you remain with me, I will protect you. I will, I will keep you. And we as a people have been no different than the Israelites. And yet though he's talking to the Israelites here, he's saying the same thing to us today. You, you've gone far away from me. You keep going back to all these others and to everything and anything, to your mind, to your emotions, to, to your desires, to this and to that, thinking that they are going to fulfill you, thinking that they know the plans they have for you. They don't. Only God does. And so as he spoke then, he speaks now to us. And he speaks to you individually by name. I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. When you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you. I will end your captivity to sin and death. And I will restore you the good fortunes in which I have for you. Look at this. I will gather you out of all the nations, and let's just use it for our understanding in this generation, I would gather you out from all that which enslaved you, <laughs> and I will bring you home again to my presence. This is God, you all. I know the world likes to, to, to strip him down as if he's nothing. I know the world and even the so-called church likes to strip him of his power and make him so common that he's just like everyone else. But I'm telling you, that is not God. And as we're drawing close to the days of his return, the more that he's going to be stripped down of the ways, in the ways of this world. The world is going to strip him down to make him so common that people are not even searching for him. But listen to this promise that God says. You will be bound by me if you search for me. See, God is not hiding himself from us. God is not stiff-arming you because, oh, you're so bad, you keep doing bad. God is not stiff-arming you. God is continuing to call you. Come out from there. Don't go your way. Stop being so selfish. Stop being so prideful. Stop living by all your lust and your desires. Learn of me, God is saying. And then go to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55, verse 6 and 7. Again, I'm just sharing these scriptures because we're back to opening up the Word of God, seeking God. The whole purpose of doing it is to seek God out, to know God closer, to be in communion and fellowship with Him. But look at Isaiah 55, the promises here from 6 through 7, verses 6 through 7. Seek the Lord while you can find Him. Call on him now while he is near. 
Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. This is the prophet Isaiah declaring the goodness of God. And we know that the promises of God and the purpose of God is to have a people that he will call his own and they will call him their God. It just wasn't for the Israelites. That's where it started. But remember, when the fall came, when Adam and Eve went their own way, they were deceived. Remember, God spoke even then that Jesus would come. He tells the serpent, there will be one who would come and who's going to crush your head. So God's plan from the beginning of time, working its way through as he gathers the Israelites to himself, the promised seed, the Messiah, is to come forth. And everything of hell, everything of this earth has tried to stop Jesus from coming, but Jesus was born. He came. And he conquered through the death on the cross and the resurrection three days later. He stripped sin of its power. He defeated death. He is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. He is victorious. And so this promise in Isaiah is a promise for us. Seek the Lord while you can find Him. Call on Him now while He is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to your God for he will forgive generously. Don't miss that last part. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. If you would just turn to him and ask for forgiveness, he is not holding back from you. It doesn't matter where you've been, you all, or what you've done. If you would sincerely seek Him. Listen, I've always told you, be careful when you're hearing the gospel being preached, giving you the right to yourself. You will never find that from the beginning to the end, no matter how much preachers or so-called Christians want to twist God's word, if you will seek God, truth will come to you. The Bible says that in the last days, before his return, men and women are not going to want to hear truth. They're only going to want to hear preachers tell them what their ears want to hear. Make it about me. Make me feel good about me. And there's nothing good of our old nature. Even in the book of Isaiah, let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. And I know people like to give you the way out of by saying, oh, but God understands. He, he's, not, he's not mad at you. Just keep doing whatever you want to do. Oh, no, no, no. God understands that you have a sinful nature, and that's why he sent his son. You have to figure out what you're doing with Jesus. Is he Lord or is he not? That's the bottom line answer for all of us, no matter what our age is. Either he's Lord, you're following him, you're turning from your wicked ways, you're banishing every 
fault of doing wrong. You're trusting that in and of yourself you can, but He can through you because you have the Holy Spirit in you to live differently. You don't have to go the way the world is presenting life to be. Because all of that in the end, the ways of the world, is empty. You can have all the fame and riches and fortunes and everything you can set out to do. But if you don't have Christ, you're empty. You're empty. And you can have the least of the least and barely scraping two pennies together. But if you have Christ, you have everything. It's Christ, you all. It's Jesus. So we must seek him while he may be found. Seek him above all. Even in the midst of your struggles, even in the midst of of your confusion, if you would just seek him. He's not looking for you to be perfect, but he is looking for you to grow and to mature, to know him even more, because the more you know him, you all, I promise you, the more freedom you're going to experience from the enslavement of your mind to this temporal world. Remember, your flesh only knows how to do one thing, and that is to die. And so it drags you to the very things that wants to kill you. It doesn't make sense. And we've seen it. We've seen it in other people's lives. We've seen the choices and decisions that they've made that has led them to chaos and confusion and disorder and perversion and addiction. You name it. We've seen it. We've seen it in our loved ones. We've seen it in people we know. We watch it on the news. But yet, if we're not abiding in Christ, we're no different. We, we go the same way. Having the full knowledge of good and evil, we still choose evil. That ought not to be. Not if we're Christians. If you're lost, if you're not saved, then you know what, no other way except to go the way of destruction. But that is my hope. That Christ would step in, that you would turn from your wicked ways and you would see your need for a Savior, that you would accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you would be baptized, that you would be discipled, that you would begin to grow in the knowledge of God until you take your last breath. And when you take your last breath, instead of being separated from Him for eternity, you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in. For eternity, you will be with me. Oh, that's glorious, you all. That's good news. That's what you should be sharing with people. Instead of going their way, instead of choosing evil, you stay and abide in Christ, but tell others there's a way out. (laughs) There's a way out. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 14. Is our Old Testament scripture for today. Leviticus chapter 14. Remember, God has set his people aside. They are wandering, they are traveling, and God is giving them specific instructions on how to deal with uncleanliness of, of sickness and disease. Like God is, 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 is giving them divine revelation that they would look different, 
to the nations that are on the outside. And so now we're picking up with the cleansing of leprosy, the cleansing of of skin diseases. And it says here in chapter 14, And the Lord said to Moses, The following instructions are those seeking ceremonial purification from a skin disease. Those who have been healed must be brought to the priest, who will examine them at a place outside the camp. Because you have to remember when you had a disease, when you had especially leprosy or any type of uncleanliness, you were set out of the camp. You were broken. Your fellowship was broken from the others. And not only was it broken from the others, it was broken from God. Don't forget this picture as we're reading through this. These people were set out because they were unclean. Now they're talking about a physical skin disease. But we understand the greatest disease of all to mankind is sin. And sin does the same thing. Sin sets you out of fellowship with the church. (laughs) But ultimately, it sets you out of fellowship with God. But as soon as these people were healed, they were to come back to the priest. The priest then came and met them outside the camp. If the priest finds that someone has been healed of a serious skin disease, he will perform a purification ceremony using two live birds that were ceremonially clean, a stick of cedar, some scarlet yarn, and a hyssop branch. The priest will order that one bird be slaughtered over a clay pot filled with fresh water. He will take live, a live, the live bird, the cedar stick, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop branch and dip them into the blood of the bird that was slaughtered over the fresh water. The priest will then sprinkle the blood of the dead bird seven times on the, on the person being purified of the skin disease. When the priest was purified, I'm sorry, when the priest has purified the person, he will release the live bird in the open field to fly away. The person being purified must then wash their clothes, shave off their hair, and bathe themselves in water. Then they will be ceremonially clean and may return to the camp. However, they must remain outside their tents for seven days. On the seventh day, they must again shave all their hair from their heads, including the hair of the beard and eyebrows. They must also wash their clothes and bathe themselves in water. Then they will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, each person being purified must bring two male lambs and and a one-year-old female lamb, all with no defects along with a grain offering of six quarts of choice flour moistened with olive oil and a cup of olive oil. Then the officiating priest will present that person for purification along with the offerings before the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. The priest will take one of the male lambs and the olive oil and present them as a guilt offering, lifting them up as a special offering before the Lord. He will then slaughter the male lamb in the sacred area where sin offerings and burnt offerings are slaughtered. As with the sin offering, the guilt offering belongs to the priest. 
It is a most holy offering. The priest will then take some of the blood of the guilt offering and apply it to the lobe of the right ear, to the thumb of the right hand, and the big toe of the big foot of the person being purified. Then the priest will pour some of the olive oil into the palm of his own left hand. He will dip his right finger into the oil in his palm and sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the Lord. The priest will then apply some of the oil in his palm over the blood with the guilt offering that is on the lobe of the right ear, the thumb of the right hand, and the big toe of the right foot of the person being purified. The priest will apply the oil remaining in his hand to the head of the person being purified. Though Through this process, the priest will purify the person before the Lord. Then the priest must present the sin offering to purify the person who was cured of the skin disease. After that, the priest will slaughter the burnt offering and offer it on the altar along with the grain offering. Through this process, the priest will purify the person who was healed and the person will be ceremonially clean. But anyone who is too poor and cannot afford these offerings may bring one male lamb for a guilt offering to be lifted up as a special offering for his purification. The person must also bring two quarts of choice flour moistened with olive oil for the grain offering and a cup of olive oil. The offering must also include two turtle doves or two young pigeons, whichever the person can afford. One of the pair must be used for the sin offering and the other for the burnt offering. On the eighth day of purification, on the eighth day of the purification ceremony, the person being purified must bring the offerings to the priest to the Lord's presence at the entrance of the tabernacle. The priest will take the lamb for the guilt offering along with the olive oil and lift them up as a special offering to the Lord. Then the priest will slaughter the lamb, and for the guilt offering, he will take some of its blood and apply it to the lobe of the right ear, to the thumb of the right hand, and the big toe of the right foot of the person being purified. The priest will also pour some of the olive oil into the palm of his own left hand. He will dip his right finger into the oil in his palm and sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord. The priest will then apply some of the oil in his palm over the blood from the guilt offering that is on the lobe of the right ear, the right thumb of the right hand, and the big toe of the right foot of the person being purified. The priest will apply the oil remaining in his hand to the head of the person being purified. Through this process, the priest will purify the person before the Lord. Then the priest will offer the two turtle doves of the two young pigeons, whichever the person can afford. One of them is for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering to be presented along with the grain offering. Through this process, the priest will purify the person before the Lord. These are the instructions for purification for those who have recovered from a serious skin disease but who cannot afford to bring the offerings normally required for the ceremony of purification. And you go, oh, wow, it's a lot. And it is a lot. But remember, we're seeking God through these scriptures. And this is how God set it in place for his people that they may be restored to their community, but ultimately restored to God. The priests were very busy. And we know in the New, as new, in the new Covenant, and, and we understand as Christians, that we don't slaughter animals anymore. That our lamb 
has already been slaughtered. Jesus, the spotless lamb. His sacrifice on the cross completed the requirements of the law. that, That would deal with sin once and for all. That's good news, you all. It's good news. He paid the price. He laid his life down willingly so that you can be ceremonially clean before God. Not because of anything you did. Not because you worked so hard and was such a, was such a good person. No, no, no. It's all because of what he did. Like he says, I'm wi- I willingly died for you. I took your punishment. I took your wrath. Because you remember when we first started understanding all of this slaughtering that was taking place? Remember that people were to identify with the animal. Are you identifying with Christ daily? It's not a one-shot prayer. It's every day. Jesus, you gave your life for me. I am freed. I've been redeemed. I am washed by your blood. I've been covered. I'm a fresh and I'm a new person in Christ. That's how we ought to be living. We're restored to God and we are restored to fellowship with a community of believers who believe the same thing. And that's why you must be very careful with who you're hanging out with who calls themselves a Christian. Because remember, the Bible doesn't tell us not to have anything to do with the lost, with the world. The Bible tells us have nothing to do with people who call themselves Christians, but they deny God's power. They live opposite of the teachings of Christ, yet they call themselves Christians. That doesn't go. That's not to happen. It can't be. The price was paid through his precious body. Every ounce of his blood fell from his physical body he bled out for you he took the whippings he took the punishment for you he took God's wrath so that you could experience not God's wrath but God's love price was paid we go on here the treatment of the contaminated houses then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron when you arrive in Canaan The land I am giving you as your own possession, I may contaminate some of the houses in your land with mildew. The owner of such a house must then go to the priest and say, It appears that my house has some kind of mildew. Before the priest goes in to inspect the house, he must have the house emptied so nothing inside will be pronounced ceremonially unclean. Then the priest will go in and examine the mildew on the walls. If he finds greenish or reddish streaks, and the contamination appears to go deeper than the wall surface, the priest will step outside the door and put the house in quarantine for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest must return for another inspection. If he finds that the mildew on the walls of the house has spread, the priest must order that the stones from those areas be removed. The contaminated material will be taken outside the town to an area designated as ceremonially unclean. Next, the inside walls of the entire house must be scraped thoroughly and the scrapings dumped in an unclean place outside the town. 
Other stones will be brought in to replace the ones that were removed, and the walls will be replastered. <coughs> but if the mildew reappears after all the stones have been replaced, and the house has been scraped and replastered, the priest must return and inspect the house again. If he finds that the mildew has spread, the walls are clearly contaminated with a serious mildew, and the house is defiled. It must be torn down, and all its stones, timbers, and plasters must be carried out of town to the place designated as ceremonially unclean. Those who enter the house during the period of quarantine will be ceremonially unclean until evening, and all who sleep or eat in the house must wash their clothing. But if the priest returns for his inspection and finds that the mildew has not reappeared in the house after the fresh plastering, he will pronounce it clean because the mildew is clearly gone. To purify the house, the priest must take two birds, a stick of cedar, some scarlet yarn, and a hyssop branch. He will slaughter one of the birds over a clay pot filled with fresh water. He will take the cedar stick, the hyssop branch, the scarlet yarn, and the live bird and dip them into the blood of the slaughtered bird and into the fresh water. Then he will sprinkle the house seven times. When the priest has purified the house in exactly this way, he will release the live bird in the open fields outside the town. Through this process, the priest will purify the house and it will be ceremonially clean. Those are the, these are the instructions for dealing with serious skin diseases, including scabby sores and mildew, whether on clothing or in a house, and a swelling on the skin, a rash or discolored skin. This procedure will, will determine whether a person or object is ceremonially clean or unclean. These are the instructions regarding skin diseases and mildew. You go, wow, that's still so much. What does that have to do with me today? Has everything to do with you today? If God took so much detail, then do you not think he took so much detail today? Through Christ, you all, all of this has been accomplished. I want to walk you through. Again, the whole purpose is to find God in the midst of what we're reading. So let's listen. In Leviticus, again, we see a picture of how sin separates us from God and from fellowship with others. It makes us unclean. Its desire is to master us, but we are to master it. We are to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. But the greatest lesson from this book is the continual truth that we find our restoration, our wholeness, our forgiveness, our healing, our hope, only in the redemptive work of Jesus. He alone forgives us of our sin when we repent and come to Him and receive from Him the new birth and the power to walk again in fellowship with God and with others. <clears throat> During this time, God was giving instructions on how to treat those stricken with leprosy. Sickness, disease can spread and impact all that had been affected by it. God was showing his people a different way of addressing this disease, and in doing so was pointing the way to hope in our high priest, Jesus. 
and how through him the greatest disease, sin, can be cleansed and we can be made whole at peace with God and others through Jesus and him alone. Now, are you wondering about those birds? They mean something. The death of the bird portrays the end of the man's old life outside the camp. And the release of the other bird, they call the flight of freedom. This pictures the man's liberation from the effects of the disease. The man can now enter into the camp again, into fellowship with others and with fellowship with God. And the second cleansing stage, the Israelite, the Israelite is, to brought, is brought back into full communion with God. The ceremonies here resemble the consecration of the priests. Parts of the Israelite's body is smeared with blood and anointed with oil, being linked to the altar, which is a symbol of God's presence. Having the ear, the hand, and the foot smeared with blood could symbolize a consecration of what they heard, what they did, and where they went. In Christ, all things have been made new. The cleansing from sin is only complete when restoration follows repentance. As it is important for you and me to be cleansed and restored, so it is equally important for your dwelling place, your home. To be released from the bondage of sin and its effects on you and others that dwell there. That which you allow in to your residence, and as well as true to your heart, that which you allow in, what you accept as the norm, truly reflects who or what is mastering you. Let us declare this day, like Joshua did in Joshua 24 verse 15, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Now go to Joshua chapter 24. I want you to see this. Listen, everything in this world wants to contaminate you. But we must be bold. <laughs> Even as it was in Joshua's day, he knew, he knew that if the Israelites kept going the ways of the other nations, if they kept going their own ways, seeking their own rights, they were going to get contaminated. And so God was about to bring them in to what he was promising them. And so I want to look real quick, chapter 24 of Joshua, 14 through 28. So Joshua says to the people, to the Israelites, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. The same message that was said thousands of years is the same message today. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. So put away what you've learned before Christ. Stop living like your family members. Stop being entrapped and enslaved to the same cycles of sin and the patterns of destruction. Put it away, he's saying. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. 
Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live in now? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So he's telling them, oh, you have a right and you have a right today. You can go and worship whatever you want. You can live however you want. You can go out and get entangled in everything that this world has to offer. You have a right. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Oh, Christians, we must take that stance. We must take that stance. He goes on. The people replied, now this is the, this is the group, this is the people that he's speaking to, this is their reply. We would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. We have traveled through the wilderness among our enemies and he preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord for he alone is our God. That sounds great, doesn't it? But as we continue through the Old Testament, they didn't stay committed. Oh, they sounded committed, didn't they? They sounded committed. They they even remember what God has done for them. And not only what He's done for them, what He's done for their families. They're saying, we know Him. We would never abandon God. How foolish it would be to know all of this about God and abandon Him. Oh, but yet we see it. You have to make sure that your confession and your belief is genuine. It's true. Because where else can you go? When you are in a relationship with the living God, when your eyes have been opened, when you know that you know that you know that He is God, there is nothing or no one that can satisfy you. And you may have seasons of wandering, and wondering (laughs) but he will always remind you I'm for you and not against you I know the plans I have for you plans to prosper you not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future return to me verse 19 then Joshua warned the people you are not able to serve the Lord For he is holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn against you and destroy you, even though he has been so good to you. Listen to what he tells them. Joshua warned the people after they made this declaration. You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, He will turn against you and destroy you, even though He has been so good to you. But the people answered, Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua says, okay, you are a witness to your own decision, Joshua said. You have chosen to serve the Lord. Joshua, even Joshua, 
then tells them, oh, don't take this lightly. If that is what you're saying, if you're saying you're going to serve the Lord, you better mean it. Because you turned from Him after He's been so good to you, He'll destroy you. And Jesus Himself says, before you come after me, consider the cost. Because it's going to cost you everything. God does not take it lightly. We're not to be flippant. Oh yeah, I love Jesus. Oh yeah, I'll follow Jesus. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And then turn right back around and have the foulest mouth, the nastiest mindset, enslaved to everything and anything, and thinking somehow we're right with God. That's not how it works. I know that's what's presented. It's the most fascinating thing that, and I say it loosely, the church condones sin more so than it talks about the holiness and the freedom that is found in Christ. And we all just abide in our sin nature because there's nothing that can be done about it. Well, then who are we gathering to worship if there's not hope and freedom? The Bible says to throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. Until you take your last breath, sin is going to try to entangle you. It is going to try to enslave you. It's going to try to master you. But you must master it. That's why this is a Christian walk. It's not a one-time little prayer. It's a lifestyle. It's just who you are now. You've been born again. And if you're committing yourself to God, understand the seriousness of it. It's not something flippant. Do you have any people who have been baptized into Christ yet will end up in hell because that decision meant nothing to them? It meant nothing. Their decision of saying a little prayer meant nothing. At the moment, it meant something. These people were motivated. No, no, we commit to God. We know our God. We know what He's done for us, what He's done for our family. We know and how foolish they look of having the knowledge of God, but not knowing God. There are going to be people in hell for eternity with Jesus on their lips. <laughs> he was never in their heart. They talked a good talk, but they had no relationship with Jesus. And that's why the kingdom of God cannot be just a lot of talk. It can't be a lot of words. It must be lived by the power of God. And so when you accept Christ, you recognize, I can't, but God, you can. God, it's all you. Not my life any longer. Your life. I'm committed. And so then, remember, they replied, no, 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 we will serve the Lord. And so then Joshua says, then you are a witness to your own decision. He goes on. Yes, they replied, we are witnesses to what we have said. All right, then, Joshua said, destroy the idols among you and turn your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Hopefully you've done a cleansing of the things in your life, rather it's people, rather it's things, whatever it may be, that has held you captive. Get rid of them. Get rid of it. Turn from it. 
Turn from them. God takes it serious. Your commitment to God is to be serious. It's not flippant. I'm in a season today and I'm out tomorrow. I'll see you six months later, see you a year. Oh, I'm heading elsewhere. Then I'll come back around. Then this and this and this and that. It's not supposed to be lived that way. It doesn't mean you're not going to have trials. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have temptation. It doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect. But there is a way in which we ought to be living. And why aren't we preaching it? Why aren't we telling others out there? Because we ought to be. We ought to be. And we ought to be looking at people who call themselves Christians and go, no, no, wait a minute, what are you doing? Like, I care enough about you to tell you, no, no, no. You didn't go back (laughs) and cleanse it. You didn't go and destroy those idols that have held you captive. He tells them, all right, what you just said, oh, you're committed to God. Well, then go. Not because man is telling you to do it. It's because you are a witness to yourself of the decision that you just made. Man doesn't have to tell you. Teachers and preachers can instruct you on how to live. But you are a witness to yourself. You know the confession and what you believe in your heart. And if Jesus is Lord of your life, then destroy those things that keep you from Him. Remove them. Not because, oh, I have to. Oh, I can't watch that no more. I can't listen to that no more. Uh, and, and you pout about it. I do it. But if you're serious, you say, I see where this leads people. I see where it will lead me. I see where, where it will lead my family. I want nothing to do with it anymore. It will not be in my home. It will not be in my head. <laughs> it will not be around me. I may live in a fallen world, but I don't have to give myself to it. I don't have to be lured by it. I can walk upright. And I can be among it. But it won't be within me. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, committing them to follow the decrees and regulations of the Lord. Joshua recorded things in the book of God's instructions. As a reminder of their agreement, he took a huge stone and rolled it beneath the terebinth tree beside the tabernacle of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, This stone has heard everything the Lord said to us. It will be a witness to testify against you if you go back on your word to God. Then Joshua sent all the people away to their own household. And I love that picture of the stone. And this is just my take on it. There was a stone rolled away to serve as a witness to your confession and your belief. Remember that big old stone that was put in front of the tomb of Jesus? It was rolled away. There's an empty tomb. And when you make a confession to Christ... I believe, I love this. He took that huge stone and rolled it. This stone has heard everything the Lord said to us. It will be a witness to testify against you if you go back on your word to God. That stone being rolled away, the resurrection power of God stands as a witness 
to say God has revealed truth to you. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the resurrected Son of God. And if you turn back on God, you're basically saying, God, you're a liar. That stone rolling away meant nothing. Because He's nothing. God help us, you all, to be able, like Joshua, to be able to stand in his day to say, as for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. Go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 56. Mark 6, verse 30 through 56. So the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all the things, I'm sorry, told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore to get there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd, and he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, You feed them. With what? they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, We have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the grass, on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of fifty or a hundred. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up the twelve baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of five thousand men and their families were fed. That's amazing. This is Jesus, you all. Remember, when we began, the disciples came back. They were excited to tell Jesus of their ministry tour, of all that they were able to do. I'm sure they saw great and, 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 and displays of miracles, all in the name of Jesus. And so Jesus and them were going to go away to a private place to rest. But the people followed. And, did, and don't miss what it says here. Jesus had compassion on them. He didn't turn them away. No, he had compassion on them. Like sheep without a shepherd. 
And then he looks at his this disciples. Remember, they just came back off this ministry tour. Woo-hoo, ha-ha. And he says, feed them. And they go, with what? Did they forget who he was and what they had just been doing in his name? One of them should have been saying, well, let's see what we have. Bring it to Jesus. But instead, he had to instruct them. Go see what we have. Because whatever you have, I'm going to multiply. And from that, provision will come for the needs of the people. Oh, there's such a lesson for us to see and to know our God as we're seeking him through scripture. He's a God of compassion and he's a God that provides. Verse 45, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across to the lake to Bethsaida, where he sent the people home, while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. After they had crossed the lake, they landed in Genersac. They brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once, and they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to where, wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, in villages, cities, and countrysides, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. What else can we learn of our God? He is a healer. He's a God that comforts our fears, even in the midst of storms in our lives. Even when we can barely recognize him in the midst of it, when he speaks, when he speaks, that's why we must hear his voice, you all. He calms the storms. He encourages us to take courage. I'm with you. Don't look at all of this around you. No, I'm with you. A few other notes regarding this reading a passage. Jesus had compassion on them. Just, I'm sorry, Jesus does what God promised to do in Ezekiel 34, verse 11 and verse 14, which reads, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. I will feed them with good pasture. Jesus acts as the shepherd of God's people. In and of themselves, the disciples could not have met this need. As with us, in and of ourselves, we can't, but through Christ we can. Jesus asked the disciples to help meet the need. They thought it was impossible. But as they followed his direction, the need was met and everyone was amazed. 
Do you give God opportunities to do amazing things in your life? We are to live by faith, walk in obedience, and look up. Our God can do anything. What can keep you from seeing and appreciating the mighty works that God does in and through your life? The disciples apparently missed something here. When Jesus came walking on the water, they were afraid. They did not need to fear, but they had missed the significance of the miracle of the loaves and the fish because their hearts were hard. The same thing can happen to us. If our hearts are hardened by problems like unbelief and unconfessed sin, we will be unable to understand what God is trying to teach us. Don't miss God's messages to you because of a hardened heart. Remember, it all comes back down to the heart condition. How's your heart? How's your heart? Do you believe? That's why it must be a daily confession and a belief. Because everything out here is telling you differently. And so you must speak it yourself, to yourself, daily. And if that's not a pattern in your life, it's going to be hard for you to share it with others. Because you're going to look just like them. And they're going to look at you and wonder why on earth you're saying what you're saying when you're no different than them. But when you are different than them and you believe and you're walking by faith and not by sight, when you're walking in obedience, when you're walking in the fullness of who God is and the power of the Holy Spirit, when you understand that the price has been paid, the Savior has come, oh, you look differently. You look at your situations differently. You talk differently. Remember, you've already destroyed those other idols. You've already cleaned yourself as the Spirit of God has led you to. And now you're trusting. These men saw Jesus do incredible things. But in times in which they were challenged, in times which of the unknown, when things were pressing up against them, they forgot. Their unbelief kept them from the fullness of what God was trying to display to them. It wasn't until they received the Holy Spirit from the book of Acts that then they were able to begin to move in power. That's why you must walk with the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit of God. As you confess and you believe in Jesus Christ, as you are born again, you receive His Spirit. So walk with Him. I want you to go real quick to Ezekiel chapter 34. After this, I just got two other portions of scripture which are short and then we'll wrap up but I don't want to miss out on Ezekiel Ezekiel chapter 34 all over the Bible I mentioned verse 11 and verse 14 But I wanted you to kind of see the whole portion of this. The good shepherd. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus that this prophet Ezekiel mentions. So we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 34, 1 through 24. And I would encourage you all, go back during this week. Open up the word. Open up the scriptures we've read. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight and revelation and understanding on how you can apply it. How you can live it. Remember, you're you're not striving to be perfect. You're just striving to know your God. And He's wanting to make Himself known to you. So listen to this portion of Scripture. 
This is prophet speaking. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. You are his sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock all throughout the earth. He will. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture lands on the high hills of Israel. They, <clears throat> there they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the Sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away, and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, yes, feed them justice. As for you, my flock, that is what the sovereign Lord says to his people. I will judge between one animal of the flock and another, separating the sheep from the goats. Isn't it enough for you to keep the best of the pastures for yourselves? Must you, always, must you also trample down the rest? Isn't it enough for you to drink clear water for yourselves? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Why must my flock eat what you have trampled down and drink water you have fouled? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will surely judge between the fat sheep and the scrawny sheep. For you fat sheep pushed and butted and crowded my sick and hungry flock until you scattered them to distant lands. So I will rescue my flock, and they will no longer be abused. I will judge between one animal of the flock and another, and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. He will feed them and will be a shepherd to them. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among my people. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is God, you all. He doesn't tolerate people messing with his people. He doesn't tolerate the religious people among the church. He doesn't tolerate religious figures, leaders, who, who strip and take more from themselves than they give to the members. He does, he's not going to tolerate it. So people may be getting away and doing what they're doing, and being so self-absorbed and getting bigger and bigger and bigger in their pride and their arrogance and their religious ways. And yet God says, oh, I'll feed them all right. I'm going to feed them my justice. Oh, they're going to pay for it. They're going to pay for what they've done to my people. He is our shepherd, you all. You can get up from this place today and know that if your relationship's with God, he has got you. Front, center, back, all around. He is for you. He is not against you. And you better start declaring it every single day. Go to Psalm chapter 40, verse 1 through 10. Woo! You're being fed. Psalm 40, verse 1 through 10. 
The psalmist declares here, and this is King David, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and heard my cry. I, he lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me, steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in the worship of idols. Oh, Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand you don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, Lord, I'm sorry, then I said, look, I have come as it as is written about me in the scriptures. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. I have told all your people about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out as you, O Lord, well known. I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. So this psalm has two sections. We read the first part. It's a thanksgiving. We'll read the next section, verses 11 through 17. That's more of a lamentation, of a crying out. When we pray, this is what we can learn from this psalm. When we pray, expect to wait. And to wait patiently. Yes, God can answer immediately, but most of the time, for the trial and strengthening of our faith, He makes us wait. If we can wait and wait patiently, we are certain that the Lord will hear and answer our prayers according to His will. And I love the fact that you see what we saw as you read through or heard me read through these verses. He declares that he's waiting patiently. And in so waiting patiently, he begins to give thanksgiving. He begins to understand what God has done already. And in doing so, he didn't withhold telling others of the fullness of who God was. No, in the midst of his waiting, in the midst of our waiting, be about your father's business. Tell others what God has done. And, and, and tell of others of his goodness, of his justice, of his salvation that is found in Jesus. Don't withhold anything from anyone because God, quote unquote, hasn't moved for you. So you got an attitude with God. Come on, that's ridiculous. That's not how Christians live. You just keep living like one who has been redeemed, trusting in God, knowing that he will answer that his will will be done. And so, when God answers prayers, our response should be to worship Him. We should give thanks and tell others what the Lord has done. When we praise God for what He has done for us, others can share in our blessing. When we praise Him, our words act as messengers of God's truth to others. 
Don't keep God's miracles to yourself. Tell others about the ways God has dealt with you. By them hearing your praise, it could lead them to put their trust in the Lord. God has answered an earlier prayer for the psalmist, but he still has problems to bring before God. He looks to God in a new time of crisis. And this is what I love about this picture of this psalm. The psalmist, King David, has already seen God move, but now King David is facing with yet another crisis. That's life, you all. Jesus himself tells us, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. See, that's the confidence you come to. Not in your confidence in and of yourself to fix things, but in the confidence of Christ. The psalmist knows that the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament were mandated by God, but if they were offered without genuine repentance and faith, God did not want them. And so as it is with us today, God does not want lip service or a bunch of religious works if our heart attitude isn't humbled and if he isn't truly Lord of our lives. Let's close in Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10, two verses of wisdom. You need wisdom? You got two verses to meditate upon throughout this week. Proverbs 10, verse 11 through 12. The words of the godly are life-giving fountain. The words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. Hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. How can we and what can we learn of God from these two verses? What's coming from your mouth? Life or death? As I've always said to you, if you want to know the condition of your heart, you want to know where you're at in your relationship with God, listen to your words. They will expose your true nature, rather if you're godly or you're wicked. Repent and be forgiven if your words are of no value and aren't life-giving. As a Christian, you ought not to be speaking filth from your mouth. You're not to be speaking to tear down people. And if that's your commonplace of doing, then something's wrong. Because you're acting like the wicked. Because we understand as Christians that our our words are to bring life. We are to edify, we are to build up, we are to encourage. And if that is not your normal pattern, you're not a Christian. And you need to repent. You need to turn away from wickedness and get your mouth in order with the truth of God's word. By getting your heart right with God. And if you find yourself, maybe it's not a pattern that you're doing every day, but maybe it's here and there. Then you need to be aware, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. The enemy is gaining ground on me because I'm easily shifted and twisted. So that's a different scenario. It comes here and there, but when you see it, just don't blow it off like, oh, that made me angry. Oh, well, you don't know what they did. No, no. You recognize, you go, wait, that's an area of my heart that I need to, oh, okay. I need to throw it off because I get entangled too easily, too quickly. 
So either two ways. It's a common, common place to find yourself in, and so something is seriously wrong. Or you're a growing Christian. Here and there, things come up, and you react, you tear down, you speak vile. Don't excuse it. Repent. Be quick. To say, oh Lord, guard my tongue. Guard my, guard my heart, Lord. Help me in this area. I can't fix it, but you can. And watch over time as you're growing and as you're maturing, your words will begin to change. Because your heart is changing, because your mind is being renewed. Love and love alone can only bring about true forgiveness and healing. A complete wholeness. We give to others as Christ gave to us. We cannot continue to be people claiming to be in relationship with Jesus and living like those who have not been forgiven. Trampling his blood under our feet and making it common as if there is no transforming power found in his blood through his death and resurrection. If you are a Christian, then you are forgiven and you must forgive others. Not through your strength, but only through his. You cannot continue to hold people to who they were when you've received such forgiveness yourself. Something's wrong. You're always bringing up people's past to them. You're always quick to say things to their face. You're always quick to judge them for who they were. But God forbid someone judges you and all of a sudden, who are you to judge me? I love Jesus. No, you don't. You don't even know him because your words, your attitude, it's a consistent pattern of your life. That you're throwing up things to people. You better remember that you've been forgiven. And love, the essence of who God is, love covers all offenses. So you have no right to speak to someone else in a way that you have not been spoken to by God. If God has says, I love you, I forgive you, come, you're healed, you're whole. So it doesn't matter what people have done to you. And I don't take it lightly. We've all had things done to us, and if not, they will be done to you. But as a Christian, don't hold on to them. Work through it with godly counsel, with godly wisdom on how to walk through what true forgiveness is. Forgiving and forgetting. Being made whole, being healed. Being restored. It doesn't mean that you keep abusive people around you and constantly forgive and forgive again, but they're just so abusive. No, that's not what God wants. You can forgive and use wisdom to remove yourself from the situation that is constantly abusing you. And just because you say, I forgive someone, doesn't mean that they, they have to know you forgive them. Maybe they're just a horrible, an abusive person. You don't have to go and tell them, but in your heart you say, I forgive them. And then you live as such. It's wisdom, you all. It's applying wisdom. It's not in your strength. It's all through His. The last two verses, dealing with forgiveness, I wanted you all to hear Matthew 6, verse 14 through 15. <clears throat> Jesus says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But, if you refuse to forgive others, 
your Father will not forgive your sins. Do you understand how serious, how serious unforgiveness is? It hinders your walk and your relationship with God. So we better allow the Holy Spirit to check our hearts, you all. And if you're dealing with unforgiveness here today, don't beat yourself up. Just get before God. Just be honest. That that's a relationship. We don't, we're not hiding from God. We're not like Adam and Eve hiding because we're sin. Because oh, we see our nakedness. We, we see how horrible we are. So we try to hide from God and all the elements of this world. No, 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 no. We're in relationship with God. And if you're not in a relationship to, with God here, but you're here today, there's a reason why you're here, because God wants you to be in a relationship with Him. He doesn't want you hiding from Him. He wants you to come to Him. And so we come to Him with an open heart and saying, God, I need you. I accept you. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you've been raised from the dead. An instant. You're born again of a new nature. And just as the amount of time you've had to learn to walk in this old nature, it's just as you're doing in your new nature. You're born again. You're gonna, it's going to take you some time to continue to mature and to mature. Remember, the Bible says we're not perfect until, and we're not complete until we're with Him. But until then, we're growing each and every single day. So receive Jesus, you all, if you haven't. Be baptized. Get discipled. And if you have received Jesus and you have been baptized, well then be discipled daily. Be in fellowship. The last one, Ephesians 4, chapter 31 through 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Oh, what a beautiful way to end our time together. Forgiveness, you all, it's so vital to truly experience the freedom of Christ to forgive. To forgive and not hold on to any offense. Not hold on to anything that has been done but to walk afresh and anew with your head up in a secure place and a whole place. You can't find that anywhere else but Jesus. So in our closing time, we're going to have communion. And the purpose of communion is, is to remember what he's done for us. That's the whole purpose of communion. We take it collectively together to remember the cross, the payment that was paid for us, to remember what he endured, he took the wrath of God for you so that you could be restored to God, so that you wouldn't have to face God's wrath. Like he was raised from the dead. He has defeated sin and death. He gives us the power to live afresh and anew, empowered by his Holy Spirit to, to remain upright in a crooked world. And so we take communion to remember all that he's done. And not just all that he's done for us, but in remembrance of that, focusing that one day, one day he's coming back for those who belong to him. And oh, what a glorious day that will be.
So I'm going to play this song and pass out the elements. Don't take them until we take them together. But as I'm passing it out, I really want you to just kind of pay attention to the words of this song. But then also as you're listening to the words of the song, I want you to take time to reflect on where you've been this week. I want you to look at your own heart and say, God, here it is. And if there's an area of your life that you need to ask forgiveness for, if there's an area of your life that you need to repent, then do so. Listen, God doesn't want you to work so hard to get right. Because He knows you can't. What He's looking for is just a humble heart to say, God, I need you. That's it. I can't, but you can. You know the plans you have for me. Plans to prosper me and not to harm me. Plans to give me a hope and a future. You say that I will find you if I seek you. God, I'm seeking. It's as simple as that. In my seeking, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you've been raised from the dead. Jesus, you are my Christ. You are my Lord. You are my King. So I hope and pray that that's where each of us find ourselves today. You're more than happy to take communion if you want. If you don't, that's fine too. But either way, let's just have a time of worship. And then after the song, we'll take the elements together. Thank you. 